How do we live with suffering in our ordinary lives? We discuss this and more with special guest Brock Heasley on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I am your host, Joseph Holmes, film critic, filmmaker, pedantic podcaster, and with me as always is my perplexingly patient co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, um, and wait, what do we, oh yeah, that's right. Um, someone who has suffered but tries to remain smiling in the midst. Mm, well done, well said, well said, I like that one. And of course, <laughs> a little less funny than some, but no, still something there. But true, but true. Uh, and with us today is a very special guest. He is a filmmaker and author who's written and directed two short films and served as an associate producer on a film produced by Blumhouse Productions, Trend and Dumb Pictures, and Lionsgate. He is the author of the novel Paper Bag Mask, the memoir The Other Side of Fear, a true story of murder, forgiveness, and the peace only faith can bring, and a graphic novel collection of his comic The Superphobies. He has a BA in graphic design from California State University, Fresno, and his work has been featured in the San Francisco Cartoon Art Museum. His first feature film as writer-director, The Shift, based on his short film of the same name, releases from Angel Studios on December 1st. He lives with his wife, three daughters, two dogs, and one cat in California. He didn't want another dog, but his girls made him a pretty killer PowerPoint presentation, and he didn't want to look like a jerk. He is the brave, the bold, the beautiful Brock Heasley. Brock, welcome to the show. I'll take two out of three of those. Beautiful, I've never been accused of, but thank you. Very kind. It's been said on the overthinkers and therefore it is now true. Yeah. Oh, well, if that's how it works, then I'm excited about the next hour. We pride ourselves on our objectivity when it comes to everything we say. It's totally true all the time. Sweet. And that's a raw fact. Yeah. I'm looking for that. Yes, uh, but no, it's been really cool. We've I've I've been uh, friendly with Brock for years, uh, ever since uh, his original short film came out, and so uh, so really, I'm really excited to uh, have you on the show today uh, for today's discussion. Yeah, ha happy to be here. Really excited. You guys, you guys are you guys are hopefully not too smart for me. Hopefully, I can like hang, but I'm gonna I'm gonna, I promise to do my best. It's all an act. We really are pretty <laughs> dumb behind the scenes. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, today. We're going to be talking about how to walk through suffering. Only, yes, okay, because we only want to do the very easy topics when we invite our first-time guests on our <laughs> yeah, show. Thanks. <laughs> yes, but first, Nathan, if people enjoy our discussion and want to engage with more of our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.world where they can find out more about their hosts and send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also join our online uh, Facebook group called The Overthinkers where we have over 15,000 overthinkers just like yourself getting into fun discussions and mostly just posting tons of memes. So head on over. We want you among our ranks. If you do enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. It really does help us so very much. Yep. And of course... Brock Heasley is on the Facebook group as well. And so if you, you know, do post it, you might, you might see a post by him. So that's, that is an especially good reason to join. A celebrity cameo drop-in is uh, possible <laughs> if you join the group. Yes. <laughs> and, and only going to become more of a celebrity once uh, the shift comes out. Um. Anyway. All right. Everybody ready to get started? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Awesome. How to live a worthwhile life in the midst of suffering is one of the most difficult questions humans have ever posed. As Merriam-Webster points out, suffering involves the conscious experience of pain. That is, 
to be aware that you were in pain and to hate the fact that you're in pain. So in a sense, suffering causes two sources of pain, the pain and the pain of being in pain. Whether it's losing employment, a romantic relationship, or loved ones to death, deep suffering has unique ability to make life seem not worth living, particularly if it challenges important parts of our worldview, such as the idea that the world has a loving God protecting it. Philosophers, theologians, and psychologists throughout history have attempted to answer the question of how to understand and live with suffering. Siddhartha Gautama and Marcus Aurelius, founders of Buddhism and Stoicism, proposed the source of suffering was wanting things we can't have and can't control, and so the answer was to eliminate our desire for those things. The author of the book of Job in the Bible posited the answer to suffering was to trust that God knows what he's doing, even if we don't understand why. The Apostle Paul counseled the early Christians to embrace suffering as a way of improving our character to become more like Jesus and therefore share in the rewards of his coming eternal kingdom. Modern psychologists like Dr. Robert Puff, writing for a Psychology Today piece, The Three Ways We Deal or Not with Suffering, also counsel the Buddhist stoic method of acceptance, but emphasize the work necessary to validate and accept your own feelings of grief in order to truly let them go. So Brock, one of the reasons that I've been really interested in talking to you about this is because your new movie, The Shift, is a lot of so much of it is about wrestling with what feels like unjust suffering in the world. And through your memoir and other work, you have really wrestled with this topic. So I'm really interesting kind of from, you know, mm -hmm. a layman's and artistic and and just a walking through life perspective, what does it look like for you in your life to wrestle with suffering? And what answers have emerged for you of how to do it well that you were so passionate about talking about in your art and your memoirs? Yeah. So the the three things that you just named, well, well help, help me out. You, you, you've got it written down and I don't. The three things that you just named that, that of examples that people suffer through, I think it was death of a loved one, mm -hmm. job loss, and, and uh, loss of, of, a, of a romantic relationship. Okay, so I've definitely done all three of those. So I've hit the trifecta. So <laughs> I don't know if that makes me an expert, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pontificate as though I am, and everybody can judge me. Um, no, but but uh, look, here's the thing. Like I'm pro I'm guessing that most people who have, who have listened to this, who are listening to this, have hit that trifecta and probably can name about five other things that they've suffered through that have been terribly unfair and unfortunate. Um, for me, yeah, the, the, it's, it's something that I've examined. It's something that, you know, when that I I experienced um, a loss of a loved one uh, younger, younger in life. I was um, just part of my backstory, and I'll, I'll just go through it really, really quickly just so I can Please. frame this because I think it's important to understand kind of where I'm coming from and where the shift is coming from. But when I was 12 years old, my father was um, shot in an armed robbery. He was shot 13 times, and he lived. And... Wow. Um, and that was insane. I came to find out later that people don't usually get shot that many times and live. Um, but when you're 12, something like that happens and you're just like, oh, this is really cool. Um, that was kind of my my reaction at the time. I never really had this idea of like, oh, I was going to lose my dad because uh, he went to the hospital. And when you go to the hospital, that's where they make you better. And he got better. Um, so but he, that wasn't to say that that he was 100 percent better. You know, he obviously he lived with, you know, some complex physical complications, you know, after that. Um, and one of the things that that I saw him um, do was, you know, how he regarded the men who shot him. You know, they they burst into his store. Uh, he was he owned a, a store in which he sold uh, firearms, and they came into his store to rob them, and they did. They stole all of his firearms, and they shot him, and and they left him for dead. It was very very clear what their intent was. They just weren't totally successful. Um, 
But his regard for them was not one of bitterness. It wasn't one of, oh, I hate those guys. Oh, it was, it was one of forgiveness. And it was, it was an example that he set for me that I didn't really realize at the time. To me, he was just my dad and he was tough. And so, you know, after he gets shot, he's not going to let that weigh him down. He's going to go on with his life. That's how I saw it. Looking back, I realized, oh, he, he had a spiritual life to him. Um, that was rooted in his belief in Christ, and that allowed him to move on from this and not regard those guys as anything more than just, you know, these are guys that did it to him, and, and, and he didn't really wish them ill will in that sense. So eight years later, when the exact circumstance repeated itself and two guys burst into his store again and shot him again and stole all of his guns again, and this time he died, um, that became something that I had to deal with a lot more directly. Mm -hmm. Um, now I'm 19 years old. Um, I, I'm no longer thinking it's super cool that my dad got shot. I'm thinking, crap, my dad is dead and two men did this to him. And there was a flash of anger, a very strong flash of anger that happened that night when I found out that what had happened. And, um, and that anger went away very, very quickly. It, it, it left me almost immediately and it was replaced by a genuine love for the men who killed him. Now wow. that sounds insane, but if you have had this example set for you, like I did, and if you have a belief in a loving savior, and if you have an understanding that we are all brothers and sisters and that sin and that um, falling away from grace, doing things that are, that are evil, if you have an understanding of how that impacts a soul, how that impacts a person, I came to an understanding that night that what had happened to my dad was less of a tragedy than what these men had done to themselves by killing him, that that was actually the greater tragedy. And that was what prompted this feeling of love. Now, in that moment, I forgave them. And I can honestly tell you that I haven't had a moment since that night. And this is now almost 20, 24 years ago. Um, I haven't had a moment since that night in which I, no, that wasn't even 24, that was 28 years ago. Um, but I haven't had a moment since then that I have ever felt any anger towards those wow. people. That I haven't ha ever felt anything, anything less, less than love and compassion for them. Um, and... To me, that is the purpose of suffering. The purpose of suffering is so that we can come to a place where we can see God and his light and his love more clearly. And I don't believe there's any other way to get there other than by passing through some darkness, mm -hmm. passing through some difficulty. That is the entire point of it. And, um, and I think we see that over and over again in the scriptures. I see, think we see that over and over again in the lives of people who have made the brave choice to take what has happened to them and turn it into a positive within their lives. I genuinely believe that is the point of it all. Um, wow. That is not to say that it is easy. And it is not to say that the things that I have passed through subsequent to that have been made easier by this realization or, or, or having achieved this, this, this victory in this one instance in my life, I've passed through unemployment, years of unemployment that have been very, very difficult and which I have gotten to a very low place. And I have 
you know, other things have happened in my life since then, of course. Most of my life has happened since then. Um, but um, this sustaining idea that the point of suffering is so that we can behold light and, and, and experience light. And I would even say so that we can experience joy more fully. Yeah. Um, that is that is something that I have held on to very, very tightly. Yeah, this is um, this is great. And I love how you kind of juxtapose these ideas between how suffering actually works as a beautiful, if you want to think about it in filmmaking terms or artistic terms, beautiful contrast okay. to what God does. So the chaos and destruction that the world experiences um, and, and and that that we experience personally every day in our lives is contrasted by God's order and beauty that he can bring to things. Right now I'm working on an article and I'll release it <clears throat> soon, probably next few months, but it's um, titled more or less um, Why Christians Should Make and watch more R-rated movies. And listen, you can get mad, you can, um, whatever, that's totally fine. Just read the article before you do, I, I can take it. Um, but one of the points I make in there, and you actually made it as well, is all through scripture, we find deep, deep R-rated darkness. Um, that it, That is, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it wouldn't, if you, if you made it into a miniseries, it would put Game of Thrones to shame as far as content. Um, this is hard, dark, deep stuff that, but, and it's interesting to think about how um, Christians often want to kind of avoid that that darkness of life, that darkness of our experience and stories. And I understand, right? It totally makes sense. But when actually reading the story uh, by the storyteller, by God, what we see is him actually paying attention and looking at this darkness that exists Amen. in the world, exists in our life. But in it, his light shines even more brightly. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I, I think of when I when I am going through a particularly difficult or dark or time of suffering is that this, whatever suffering I'm currently experiencing will be contrasted by God's redeeming light. And that could be now, that could be in a few years, or that might be in eternity. It might not, uh, I right. might not get to experience that on this side of eternity, but there is that promise underneath um, all the darkness and grief that we experience right now, that there is wholeness and beauty coming. Um, and, and that's the promise we cling to. But it is interesting as you look at the entire world, suffering seems to um, be a, how do I say this, a, a uh, intrinsically human experience that affects everybody regardless of, um, of political persuasion. It affects everyone regardless of background or race or gender. Right. Um, it affects any, any person who lives in this earth that has been touched by the the fall, the, the brokenness that exists in the world. And so it's something that we can, weirdly enough, as we talk about suffering, it's something that we can actually all connect on. You know, the, the world right now is filled with divided issues that everyone's on different sides of. But one thing we can all connect on is that suffering is something that every person will experience. But because all of us will experience this in some way, um, we're all going to be looking for answers to that. What do we do with this suffering? And I think this is an amazing opportunity for people who do have a belief in God to step in and show that light. Um, but it's still, I think that people can get lost inside their suffering. Even even Christians can. I, I have gotten lost inside my suffering, lost inside that darkness that exists. Um, and I think one of the things that we're all looking to do is figure out how to get rid of it. And so, you know, I want to talk a little bit today um, about, I, I want to give some of our listeners who i you know, the, the chances are out of the thousands of people listening right now, um, many of them, uh, all of them have suffered and will suffer. Um, and may, many of them could be going through deep seasons of suffering currently. And so what I what I would love to do today, and I loved hearing your story, Brock, um, I think that gives you such a platform 
from which to speak, from which to um, explore these topics on. But I, I would love to think through some of the ways that we can encourage people, maybe even the ways that we ourselves have found that method. You know, you talked about this this darkness, this flash of darkness that came over you. And I'm not putting words in your mouth. Uh, please correct me if I get anything wrong. Um, when your father was killed, and then you talk about this freedom that you experienced later, this um, uh, forgiveness, the, the the freedom you experienced from forgiveness and redemption. And I'm sure you've had many ups and downs throughout the rest of your life, but it sounds like you found, I, I hesitate to say a method, but you found a way to um, engage with the darkness in your life um, with God, perhaps, and find a way through that. I'm curious about what the practicalities of that look like and, and what that looks like actually lived out. What are the, because um, I, you know, that's one of the things I, I've struggled with the church a lot is um, uh, for those of you who don't know, most of you do, if you listen, I struggle with severe mental illness since I've been, um, since I've been alive. Um, it's affected every day, every minute of my life. Um, it's a darkness that exists with me. And I remember being in the church uh, very often when I was young and people just say, well, just believe more, say a prayer and it'll be fixed. And the thing is, I have faith that God does make a difference, that a belief in God, that a faith does make a difference in your life. But what I had to learn was those, the practicalities of living that out of the everyday choice. You know, Paul talks about dying daily and he's talking about putting to death the darkness in him, be it sin, be it whatever it might be. And so what what is what are the practicalities that you found in your experience and especially that you wanted to kind of explore in your film um, mm -hmm. that you could that you might share with someone who's currently walking through a moment or a season of real darkness and, and suffering and pain? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a great, great question. I had no idea that you were dealing with that. And and that's that's tremendous that you would be open about and sh about sharing that and i think that is really important you know i think i think sharing these stories sharing these these difficulties that we all have is super super important i think that's certainly one component of it is you know to find people find your people find people that you can talk to none of us should be doing this alone if we were all meant to to to, to endure this life alone then god wouldn't have made land masses he would have made islands and he would have put each one of us on one and and we'd all have our own little islands and we'd never know about each other but that's not how he made the world he made the world with land masses and so we are all congregated together and that's how it's supposed to be um the film the the shift so for those that don't know the shift definitely gets at the practicality of what you're talking about i i believe it very much has something to say about that and for those that don't know the shift is about a man who is pretty ordinary he's he's not perfect marriage isn't great his job isn't great and it's at that moment when he's really kind of at his lowest that he has an encounter with a, a mysterious stranger who calls himself the benefactor and the benefactor is there to offer our man kevin uh basically anything he wants the riches of the world or or, or whatever he wants in exchange for simply doing the benefactor's bidding classic you know uh man and devil devil's trying to make a deal with with the guy um Kevin, because of the result of this encounter um, with with the, the benefactor, he ends up basically stranded in a dark parallel universe. And when we pick up with Kevin, it's a tiny minor spoiler that's in the first part of the film, we actually pick up with Kevin five years after he's been banished to this parallel world. So he's been living in this dark, tyrannical place for five years. And in that time, he has been seeking God and not finding him. God is not present in any way that, that that Kevin can see in his life. And so he's stuck 
He's far from home. He has no way to get back and he doesn't know what to do. And this is this to me, the shift is very much inspired by the book of Job, which is why this is a really valid topic for today. Job is somebody who also um, suffered greatly, had a lot of things taken from him, everything taken from him, really, and had to endure a period of suffering. And we don't really know how long that suffering was. Um, he had to endure a period of suffering and, and basically not knowing when or if the suffering would ever end. And that is a, that is basically the situation that we find Kevin in in the shift. And I think that this this idea of suffering, the idea of time, I think there's a time component to suffering that is probably the biggest part of it. Um, when I sh- the the difference between Job and the difference between Kevin and the shift and my experience is that my experience was pretty quick. When my father died that night and I had that flash of anger and I moved into forgiveness, that all happened within the span of just a few minutes, to be honest with you. It was one of the more incredible experiences of my life in that way. And it was permanent. Um, I have since suffered through things that have not been that quick in, in their recovery, where it's been literally years of suffering. And so that experience is what I brought into the shift. I really wanted to examine this idea of how in the world do we endure something that is going for a while and we have no idea when it's going to end. And this is where suffering and faith intersect for me because I believe, I have come to believe, and no one has ever agreed with me on this or they've been intrigued by it, but I've never heard it said anywhere else. So this may be just my own idea. But I believe that patience and faith are pretty much synonyms, that they are essentially the same idea. Um, faith is, to me, is waiting on God. It's just waiting on him because God will not reveal himself fully to us until the next life. Not fully. He will reveal himself, though, in small ways during this life. I very much believe that. But when he chooses to do so, is entirely up to him and his timetable. And it has nothing to do with anything that I am trying to make happen. So we are in this constant waiting game with God. We are in this constant waiting game with goodness, where we are enduring things and we are waiting to see when it is going to end. We are waiting to see what the point is. We are waiting for something better to happen. We are waiting for God to manifest himself in our life. But what are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. And, and so this is this to me is what faith is. And so the shift is about is very much about that. It is about saying that God is worth waiting for, that that God rewards patience. He rewards the wait. But the wait, Tom Petty said it, he was a very wise man. The waiting is the hardest part. The waiting is truly the hardest part. Um, so to me, that is the number one practical solution is settle in for the wait because the wait is going to happen. It's by design. It's purposeful. Don't resent it as much as you can because it's there for a reason. The reason I have found looking back, and I'm lucky enough to be in my mid-40s now, and so I have a lot of life to look back on to sustain me. I think that's also a really important thing is that as you get older, it's really important to reflect on your life and realize the times that you passed through that were difficult and how you overcame them, that they that they did get overcome, that that you are now better 
having gone through it, that it ended, being able to reflect on that, being able to remind yourself of that, that, that almost nothing is permanent. Um, I think that is really important. Um, so I, I think, I think that is really the key thing is to wait. The second thing, and this is, this is, I think is something you'll also see in the shift is don't collapse your world in on yourself. It is so tempting to do that. It is so tempting to say, I am struggling right now. And so it is all about me. I need to take care of myself. And, and, and there's, there's a, there's a, a giant truth to that. You do need to take care of yourself. Absolutely. But if you dedicate your care of anything entirely to yourself, if you create this bubble where you just say, I'm just all about me, you are going to fail and you're going to suffer. You all have to reach out to others. You have to pick other people up too. You have to, I don't know, give it the grocery store when they ask you if they, if you want to tack on an extra 50 cents to donate to, you know, homelessness or, 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 or whatever. It's probably a better way to say that. But the point is, is that if you, if you are going through something, the weight, but also don't make your world small reach out to others, help others too. As you, there is a joy that comes from helping others that you can experience even in the midst of your suffering. I know that I, there were things that I did particularly, my, my longest trial was unemployment for sure. Um, and, and it went on for years and years and years and years. And even within that, um, at church, I got a calling, um, and, and at the church that I go to, we receive calling. So we're, we're it's it's a volunteer organization. Everybody who works there is, is a layman. We're all we're all called as as volunteers. And so we'll we'll get you know the leader of the church will call us and say, hey, you know, I need you to serve in this capacity. And the capacity that I was called to serve in was to lead the men in my congregation. This happened two months after I was after I lost my job, and one of my primary responsibilities as the leader of the men in in my congregation was to help people with welfare issues, to help them if they didn't have jobs and they didn't have enough money to feed their families, to go into their homes, assess their needs, figure out what kind of food and clothing they needed. And I was doing this while I was unemployed. And I felt at first like a fraud. I felt like, my gosh, I, I, I'm i in the same situation they are. But it was really the best thing for me. It really was because it it, it got me out of my own circumstance which I was very mired in, and and it, and it allowed me the opportunity to help others and, and to be there for others. But anyways, I'm I'm going on too long about this. But but I think I think that uh, I think the shift has something to offer for people who are who are wondering about the practicalities of how do you endure suffering. I was I'll, I'll let you jump in, Joseph. But one of the things I was going to say, I have this list of um, of practical things that we can do to engage with suffering and actually. Were through and actually one of them was engage with art um i think mm -hmm. art is one of the most powerful things we can utilize when we are walking through dark places it helps us articulate our reality it helps us understand the darkness and it gives us catharsis from it and you you, you mentioned so many of the things that are already on my list don't do it alone do it with someone else even i didn't even mm -hmm. think of course actually get out of your own suffering and help someone else's suffering while you're suffering it can actually help your suffering I don't yeah. know, but I love the idea of engaging with art and story. It does help um, so much. It is how we were created um, to actually heal. And mm -hmm. along that process, we were created to engage with story and art. And there is something in that that God has designed that really will help us along our journey. When I was a kid struggling with 
um, my mental illness, one of the things that always encouraged me was, funnily enough, superhero books and Lord of the Rings and Narnia. Okay. All these stories were about um, smaller people. And I felt small so often uh, who were de defeating huge evils. And um, so I think there's something really powerful. So I 100 percent agree. Um, watch his uh, watch Brock's movie. Um, or engage in a book, whatever it might be, engage with story and art. It can help. But Joseph, I want to hear some of your thoughts on kind of, you know, sum up what has, what we're talking about here. Sure. Um, talk to the people who are, who are experiencing suffering and bring some of that data and that kind of <laughs> gives us some understanding of why. Data guy. <laughs> All right. Yes. No, um, I think, no, I think that's, there's a lot that's really cool about how you guys have been talking about this that really it, it's exciting to me because I'm, I'm really interested in this, the contrast between sort of the 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 theory and the practice and the kind of cosmic questions about this versus personal experience because you know for a lot of people this idea that you know you know there's the pain like i said at the beginning and then there's the suffering and there's the what does this mean about the world i live in how does this make life not meaningful if it means if you know everything ends in death and it means that there's not a god who loves me and i'm never going to see my family again and oftentimes when people say, look, there is a purpose in suffering, it's to make us, in a sense, better people, in a sense, people who are able to love and be loved more, which if if there's something that, you know, religious, non-religious people can agree on is that to love and be loved is the purpose of life. And it suffering mm -hmm. helps us do that better. For many people, in theory, that still feels so cruel. It feels like, you know, if there is a God... He's up there like a cosmic jigsaw, you know, causing us to suffer so that we become better people. And it still feels like a cosmically evil, lonely universe. And yet, you know, one of the reasons that I think it's really interesting to talk about people's experiences about this is because even if in theory that feels awful and evil, it's hard to get around the fact that every single person who's gone through suffering and has come to way with, as a more positive and happy person tells that same story of I suffered and yeah. it made me better, a better person. You know, there's, I think it was right. Peter Kreeft who said, have you ever met somebody who's never suffered? Don't you want to get away from them as soon as possible? Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm really, you know, I think we said is such amazing things about, you know, that you, the, the first of all, that the example of how to suffer well was a gift to you that you saw your father go through and you didn't do that, like see it by yourself. You saw it because somebody else went through it. The fact that you went through short periods and long periods of intense suffering and that the story around what you told about it actually did affect how you were able to, you know, see your suffering in a beautiful, in a beautiful way. And that living out that story actually proved it to you. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much data about like, you know, the meaningfulness of, of life. You know, again, people actually, it's more important for people. It's better for anxiety and depression for their lives to be meaningful than for it to be happy. Because meaningfulness, you know, is like, oh, the the effect that that my life has a lasting effect on other people and makes it better. And I can see that tangibly and concretely. In certain ways, when we lose a death of a loved one or somebody, that, that's the real tragedy that we're afraid of, is that their lives, my lives are not meaningful. And so actually Dang. actively going around and helping other people undoes that. You also talked about looking back on your life 
we had an episode on nostalgia, which I encourage people to go back on because we talk a little more about the data in that regard. But people misunderstand. Nostalgia is not um, specifically actually... People feel better when they look back on their lives through nostalgia, but it's not actually because they're looking back on their lives and they're happy about their memories. It's because they're able to turn all of the events of their life into a story that feels meaningful. And so... You know, what I sort of, I, I advise people to do is the reason that you're in pain is because of the things that happened to you, but reason you're suffering is because of the story that you're actually telling about it. And we had an episode where we did death and we found that people who, the people who fear death least were the people who were hardcore atheists and hardcore religious people. Those people who fear death the least. And it's because the people who your hardcore atheists had really accepted the fact that there was nothing to hope for. They really had done the Marcus Aurelius stoic thing where it's like, where he actually advised people, remind yourself every day when you look at your children that they're going to die and not to love them too much, you know? And on the contrast, the religious people follow St. Augustine who say, okay, first of all, Marcus Aurelius, sit down. That's awful. Um, to teach yourself to love your children less so they're, so they're you know, death caused you less pain. Instead, you believe something about the universe that is that you can see them again. And I'll just before I wrap up, I'll just tell a little bit about, you know, my story is I also lost my father, not as nearly as, you know, as young as you did. Um, but I lost my father, you know, uh, when I was in college and one of and I had to watch him slowly die over many years. And and at some point during the middle of that, find out that it was inevitable because he had kidney transplant in his 20s, and then he had to be on steroids for his whole life. All, all the time I'd known he had to be on steroids that were keeping his body, you know, um, from rejecting the kidney, but also lowering his immune system. And so I was like, oh, the thing that's saving his life is what saved his life is what's killing him. And the thing is, because I knew that, and because I believed that I would see him again. That changed the suffering I went through to be like, I wasn't robbed of my father. The thing that's killing him is the thing that made him able to be my father in the first place. And the thing that's taking him away eventually is going to bring him back. And so my suffering for him is a temporary goodbye and not a permanent one. And I, and people say people don't need theology when they're going through suffering. And they don't, you're right. Oftentimes they just need you to be sympathetic. But also they do need to have an understanding of a way of story to tell themselves going through suffering. And so I think what I'm hearing from both of you, and I think is really beautiful, is that even if you don't understand how this what you're going through can actually tell a story that's beautiful, do what other people have done to actually who look like they still have happy, beautiful lives in the midst of suffering and see if that story can actually prove a story to you that's better than the one that you're telling yourself right now. And yeah. you can do that partly like engaging with art, listening to people like Brock and what they've done and following the things that they've done. That's that's how I kind of um, what what gives me hope about hearing stories about yours, Nathan, yours, Brock, and my own. Um, anything you want to kind of say as a final thing, Brock, before we uh, before we wrap up and move on to our uh, our next segment of our show? Uh, no, I mean, 
I think I think you guys have have pretty much nailed it. I mean, it's and, and these are these are three different. You know, we've we've all passed through something very different from each other, and 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 so these are three different and very valuable perspectives. And I think the idea of taking somebody else's story as your own, I think there's I think that's really valuable. I think there's there's something really powerful in this idea of try try it try mm. it for yourself. You know, if maybe maybe you don't even think it's it'll work, but try it for yourself. Try to behave this way. Try to believe this way for yourself, and just see if it works. And if it doesn't, um, then that should reveal itself pretty quickly. And 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 I think it's important to recognize within that that it's probably not a one size fits all solution. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what works for me is not necessarily going to work for somebody else. Um, but I do believe that there are some universal truths um, that I think that we've hit upon today, um, which is number one, we're all going to suffer. Um, even the people who haven't suffered are going to suffer. They just haven't gotten there yet. Um, it's just it's just not something no one gets out of here alive. You know, it's one of those I- ideas. Um, so I think there's that. And then I think you just have to, yeah, you have to figure out what works for you. And that may be trying a lot of different things. And maybe maybe there's something that we haven't even named that, that somebody else could come up with. But I think to, to put it all together, I think there's one idea that I think that we can all agree on that and that anybody who is who has passed through suffering and, and found their own method can agree on. And I think it can be summed up in two words, which is just don't give up. Or I guess that's three words. Don't give up. Um, if you give up then you just didn't wait long enough to get back to, to one of my points. Um, there is, there is, I just, I just firmly believe, even if you don't have a faith, even if you don't have that, I think when you look at the arc of life and, and, and ask somebody older than you, if you don't believe this, um, waiting can, can yield good fruit. And, and it usually does. It, it pretty much always does. Nothing is forever. Change is constant. Um, you can change as well. Don't ever buy into the lie that that, that you're stuck as a person. You know your circumstances um, will always change, but you will too. You can change unless you don't believe you can. Um, then I think that's the only way somebody doesn't change. But but that's that that's the thing I would say is just please don't give up. Yeah, I, I a thousand percent agree. It reminds me of the the. Um... Eugene Peterson quote, it's a long obedience in the same direction produces results. And, uh, you know, just uh, uh, kind of cap this. I love that we've gotten to this idea today. Um, we, we've had a we had a another episode where what we love here talking about all the things that every human experiences, kind of these unifying human um, uh, story elements that live inside of all of our lives, no matter who we are. And uh, one of the other things what we talked about today, that suffering is a unifying human story element that we all experience. Another one is a longing for purpose. And we have an episode on this that everybody has this longing for purpose. And what I love that we got to today is that actually engaging with and paying attention to and overcoming and fighting with and and reckoning with and wrestling with your suffering actually can endow purpose, this thing that everybody wants and um, and everybody needs. So there is a purpose and a story um, and a meaning to you engaging with your suffering. Don't run from it. You know, 
addiction, um, escapism, distractionism, as I call it. Th- these are all ways to avoid suffering. And I understand this is not being judgmental. I, I get it. I do the same thing. But when you yeah. can tear your eyes and, and, and time in moments away from the distractions from your suffering and engage with it, because inside of it, there is purpose and meaning. And, I, and you know, um, again, sue me. I'm a Christian. I would highly suggest um, contextualizing your suffering and redemption in the context of a loving God who is walking through you, uh, through it with you. Um, but Brock, it has been so fantastic having you on today. I really encourage, again, we talked about this, um, all of our listeners, if you're looking for art um, that will engage with your suffering and offer you some catharsis and, and, um, and understanding, you know, art and story is one of the best ways, best things you can invite into your experience of suffering. Um, check out Brock's movie because he, he did it as a way I haven't seen it yet, so I could be endorsing something that, that's really bad. But I don't well, think. I don't live so. here, Nathan. I don't know. I don't know, I don't man. Think. It's pretty risky. <laughs> a blind endorsement, but I I will tentatively encourage you to go see his movie on December first or when, December first, right? Third. Yeah, December first comes out. December first. Yeah. December first. Go see it. If you were walking through, you just might be encouraged through. Um, the the vehicle of story and art in the way that God designed you to be. So, uh, Brock, thank you. Is there any last things you want to say before we jump? And we want to be respectful of your time before we jump into blesses and curses yeah. and give some people. I know some I I've got about ten minutes, but I do I do want to say one thing that I think I can only say on the Overthinkers podcast. Let's hear it um, because I think it'll be appealing here, and and it might be a turnoff in other places. But um, I have fought very hard to make a movie that's got a brain in its body. Um, and, and so, yeah, we're getting it, we're getting, look, film should be an emotional experience. I I think at the core, we, we want to feel something, but for those who also like me and probably like everybody listening to this right now, want to, want to activate their brain a little and think and have something to chew on afterwards. I think that you will be rewarded, um, with the shift. It has certainly been my intent and something I have fought very hard for the entire way I've been making this film. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm an overthinker. I'm, I'm, I'm admittedly one of those as well. And, uh, and this film is, um, it is, it is something that is, um, that is me through and through for, for, for better or for worse, whatever that means. Um, so if you, if you want to engage your heart, but if you also want to engage your brain, I highly recommend the shift on December 1st. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, speaking our language to, because uh, you have to run. We're gonna we're gonna move into the uh, blessings and curses segment and let you kick us off. I assume Joseph, you've told him about the segment and what yes. he's supposed to do. Yes. Right. So yes, if you have a bless that is a recommend or a curse, dis something you want dis a curse, you know, share that with us with you, us now. Oh gosh, I thought you guys were gonna hit me with something. So now I got I'm like scrambling. I got to think of something real fast. Okay. I can go okay. first. I can be quick. We, we can go first. Me. We just want to respectful okay. of your time if you wanna. No, 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 no. Yeah, you guys go first. You okay. Cool. Okay. We'll try to be fast. I'll, I'll kick us off, Joseph. I have a few. I'm actually excited because I'm prepared today. Um, <laughs> I'll be real wow. quick. Is this um, Nathan or is this a Nathan from the multiverse? It is. Man. Yeah, I'm other Nathan. So. <laughs> um, I'm going to kick off with just some, you know, you have to mentions in this conversation um, and really huge times of grief and, and trial for me. A couple books have been really, really meaningful to me and walked with me through those um, those times and seasons. Um, the classic A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, which was written after the death of his wife. And so this is a man who is not hiding behind religiosity 
or um, pharisaical, uh, you know, concepts that he's trying to speak from on high. This is a man who is in the trenches going through um, grief. And so if you want a, a, a man who believes in God but is struggling with grief and you want to read that, Grief Observed is one of the most beautiful, the opening paragraph is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. And so uh, ever read. So please check out a grief observed, and then also his book, A Problem of Pain, the Problem of Pain, um, more of a philosophical, theological understanding of why it exists and what we do with this this existence of pain. Um, also, a, a good book. I don't know when it came out, but I read it, and it was about um, uh, it's about the author's story struggling with uh, disappointment, shame. Uh, um, uh, 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 my mind is blanking. Um, pain. <laughs> I just couldn't get pain. <laughs> I need everyone to not laugh at me that I one syllable word was eluding me. Um, but a struggle with pain, and he also likens it and tells the story of Job. Um, it's called Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. It's a fantastic book. Um, I've always really loved his writing for a long time. And then I'm going to bless a book of a uh, a guest uh, of the show, um, a beloved guest uh, by the name of Dr. Zach Schmoll. He wrote a book called Disability and the Problem of Evil. And... Um, and it, it tells his story, but gives a, a very sound theological. Um, if you if you want something that's more uh, theologically based, of why does why does hurt and pain exist in the world? And he really has the requisites to talk about it. Zach has suffered from a um, debilitating spinal uh, condition for most of his life, um, and so as someone who who has experienced real suffering, um, he is the guy who can really talk about this, and he talks about it so intelligently. So definitely check that out. On the movie front, I'm going to quickly bless a movie called Smile. Um, I know that not everyone loves scary movies out there. This one is scary, be warned. But I really like this um, one because it's entertaining. I think Kevin Bacon's daughter does fantastic in the lead role. And also really gets to, I, I think horror movies can really, um, or scary movies, can really give us great metaphors for fighting evil. And um, in this movie, Smile, it is about what happens when we don't um, address and engage mm. with the monsters in our lives and how they will continue to come back and continue to haunt us. It's literally built around past trauma being a haunting um, and something that she uh, has to engage with. Um, so I, I encourage the, the movie Smile. I'm going to curse. And again, great movie. It's well shot, well acted. It was entertaining. <laughs> But I'm going to curse the the inverse of Smile, which is Joker. Um, again, love so many things about this movie, but I got to curse what I feel like was a movie that was honest about a man's pain and brokenness and um, hurt and suffering in the world. And then the answer they gave to him overcoming that is um, a justification of evil, of violence, of um, a, a man who dis who it glorifies his answer to the problem of pain, which is um, have power over and others uh, enact violence and um, yeah, and and become evil. That's the way you're going to conquer the pain in your life. And I think that's kind of a detrimental um, message, particularly for a lot of young guys out there who just really like this movie. Um, again, I get it; it's super like well shot. And then Walking Phoenix does a fantastic job as far as acting, but the message I, I do take issue with. So I, I got to put that one on the curse list today. Um, so those are mine. Joseph, quickly okay. yours. Yes. So of course I I give give some of my favorite you know movies about dealing with suffering sort of existentially and theologically. Obviously, I feel like I have to bring in Tree of Life, which you know it's forty minutes too long, but is a cinematic poem that has not been matched in the issue of you know mm -hmm. where is god and in, in in terms of suffering on the more um uh, ordinary hollywood end you know you have uh bruce almighty 
which with aside, you know, some content issues aside, I think really deals with this question in a very intelligent and fun way. Also this year, I would say, you know, on, on the more like traditional faith-based film front, um, you have, uh, the on a wing and a prayer starring Dennis Quaid, which is asking some of the, some of those questions in a, in a thoughtful and, and good drama, uh, way. Um, when it comes to curse, um, I'm going to curse, uh, this one's going to maybe, we'll see how people feel about this. I'm going to curse five nights at Freddy's. Um, I think the message of the movie, I, the game's great and I love the whole community and I think the message is even fine. It's just such an in- a confusing, totally inconsistent mess in the execution. And it's such a good idea and it's such a good that I'm, I'm disappointed they didn't, uh, do that better because the message is also very good, uh, that they do about how to not be so trapped in your suffering that you miss what's in front of you. Okay. So yeah. Brock, what, what do you, what, now you've seen how it's done. What would you yes. say? And, and it, I we understand as somebody who's like in the film industry, you may not want to curse other people's films and stuff like that, but you can curse it or bless <laughs> anything within a work of art, media resource angle. I was going to say, I am in a difficult position now where if I curse, like, like it's a genuine faux pas for filmmakers to curse uh, other filmmakers and, oh, and their work. Oops. So, but, I, but I'm, but I'm going <laughs> to yeah, find a way yeah. through it. I'm going to find a way through it that I think is palatable by picking on the dead, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, okay, uh, I'm, da- I'm, I'm done. That's amazing. Go ahead. <laughs> so the, uh, t- I want to bless um, the offer on a paramount plus which Ooh. is a which is a a tv i think it's a 10 episode tv series um Damn. about the making of the godfather and um i oh. i want to highly highly recommend i i feel like it, people slept on it i, I feel like it, it got underseen i watched it for the first time back in january when i was in pre-production for the shift and in some ways that was the absolute worst time to watch that show because that show if it's about anything it's about frenzied anxiety ridden mess that it is to get a movie made i have never watched anything that made me feel exactly like it feels to be on the precipice of disaster that is making a movie every single day you need a hundred things to go right and if three of them go wrong you're dead in the water and that's every single day and the offer makes you feel that with this incredible story that I can't believe is even half true, um, the, 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 it makes you, it just makes you feel that. And so if anybody is curious at all about the filmmaking process and what it actually is like and feels like on the inside, more what it feels like, I think the emotions were more accurate maybe than anything else. But I loved it so much, I went ahead and watched it again with my wife about six months later. And she looked at me and she's like, you watched this while you were making, are you insane? And I was a little insane um, because it made her feel that anxiety. <laughs> Maybe anxiety is a bad thing for you. I think it's pretty powerful and, and to, to experience in that way because it's safe. Um, so I highly recommend the, I, I, I bless the offer. I would also like to bless the service VidAngel, which cleaned up the offer for me and made it palatable to watch by taking away the profanity, which is robust. I am not a fan of the F word. I am not a fan of many other words. You will not find these words in the shift. You will not find these words in my movies. I do not like them in the things that I watch. And so I bless VidAngel for blessing me by taking that junk out. Um, I believe we should all be able to enjoy art the way we want it within the privacy of our homes. And if an angel allows us to do that, I am not a paid spokesperson. I just really appreciate the service. Um, 
As far as cursing goes, you mentioned the Joker, which made me think of Taxi Driver. I'm not going to curse Taxi Driver because I actually think it's a good film. But I do want to curse the score for Taxi Driver, which wow. to this day, I I have nightmares about that score and how I know it's I know it's beloved. I believe Bernard Herrmann is the composer who was a renowned composer who did many, many scores that I love. I think there is such a disconnect between that movie and that score that it pulled me out of the movie every single time it came on screen. Somehow I enjoyed the movie anyway. Somehow I was able to, through the magic of VidAngel, get the positive message, which very surprised me, uh, very much surprised me that that was in Taxi Driver. I think there was something actually, I think Taxi Driver is not talked about for like what it actually is about and what it means. That's a whole other podcast. But that score is an abomination and it should die. And I'm sorry that Bernard Herrmann is actually dead. He was a very talented man. I just don't think that that, which I believe was his final score, was necessarily his best work. And I am so far out on a limb on this that I realized the tree branch probably just broke. But that's how I feel. No, I, I just I just want to say I am so happy that like after what, like three plus years now of doing this podcast, we're still getting new curses that have never been done before. <laughs> and we have never had anybody curse a score of a movie nice. specifically before. Overthinkers <laughs> first. Uh, Brock, thank you Glad so much to be here for here. You. We want to get you out of here. But real quick, tell our listeners where they can see the movie, where they can connect yep. with you, all the stuff. Okay, so The Shift is going to be released theatrically on December 1st throughout the U.S. and Canada. Um, new theaters are being added every day. Go to angel.com slash the shift and you can find easily uh, the theater near you. If it's not showing at your chosen theater, there's going to be a button there. You can hit that button and it'll put you in touch with your theater right away. You can call them up and let them know, hey, I want to see the shift. I'd rather do it at your place. So put it there. Um, exhibitors decide what movies get shown. So uh, we want to be everywhere, but we're only in the spaces that we can be allowed. Now, like I said, new theaters are being added, added every day. It is nationwide. Chances are you're not going to have to go too far to find it near you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it comes out December 1st from Angel Studios. Wide release. Uh, lots of great people in it. Neil McDonough, Sean Astin, Christopher Palaha, Elizabeth Tabish. Uh, we have a killer cast. Um, the movie, you, you, you tell me if it's any good. It's about to go out into the world and, and you all, Joseph, I, I am I am both looking forward to and terrified of your review. You are an honest and true reviewer and I appreciate your writing so much and I don't want you to write about me and my movie, but you're going to and I will find the courage to read it and uh, and and I, I I appreciate your integrity as a reviewer. Uh, I came into my love of movies through reviewing. I my first job in the industry, if you can call it that, was as the teen movie reviewer for the local paper. So I have a deep appreciation of of, of criticism. Um, but I am looking forward to this movie getting out into the world and seeing what the world makes of it. I guarantee you, you've never seen a film like this. That I much I say. can promise. As even regardless of what Joseph writes in his review, this is the first of its kind, a multiverse. The, the Christian films have entered multiverse. I mean, this is new territory, guys. So yeah. this is groundbreaking. Go see it. Brock, thank you so much for being here. We will let you jump off. We'll wrap it up without right. you. Um, but Thanks, thank guys. you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right. Love Likewise. you, man. Bye-bye. You too. Later. Bye. 
And if you want to get in touch with the Overthinkers and find out more about what we are up to and connect with the community, please head over to the overthinkersjournal.world. Uh, you can also join our online private Facebook group, the Overthinkers. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name, Nathan Clarkson, on any of the socials. And if you want to read some of my writings about kind of what we talked about today, please check out my book, um, Good Man. Check out my book, Finding God in Hollywood, and check out my own personal personal memoir of growing up with mental illness um, different. So check out my books and um, Joseph. You can find me on any of the socials as well. Also, as Brock said, I write regular movie reviews at religionunplugged.com. I also have my uh, website, josephholmstudios.com. And just briefly, I love to compliment people where they're not in the room. And Brock Leasley has been such a you know wonderful, kind support, even of my you know, my very critical reviews. And so I, I, he's such a, such a good person. So very excited for his movie to come out and people to see it. Um, all right. Yes. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much. Yes. And, uh, and remember if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm -hmm.